Good morning, Renaissance. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, thank you for joining us this morning. We are continuing our journey through Jonah. And uh, if you haven't been here, if you're not with us, that's cool. I'm going to get into a recap uh, about Jonah and how we, how we got here. Um, but I, I, I want to make sure those who have been tracking with us, um, are you remembering the theme of Jonah, which is God's grace and his mercy is for everyone? God's grace and his mercy is for everyone. And, and that word, everyone, we're going to talk about that. Do we really believe, Larry, that God's grace and his mercy is for everyone? Um, also, while we were journeying through Jonah, um, there are two major things we were hoping to accomplish as a team, as a family, as a church, as a community. Uh, the first thing was that we would learn how to read through Scripture as a community. Oftentimes, uh, when we think about reading the Bible, it becomes a daunting task. Yes? Is that true? Right? It can be for some of us, right? Some of us who've, who've never been to church, some of us who, who, who really are skeptical about this thing called Christianity and this Jesus stuff, uh, reading the Bible is pretty difficult. And then there's others of us uh, who have read the Bible. Maybe when we were kids, we read through the Bible. And some of us even now are heavily engaged in Scripture reading. But what we believe, to put everybody all on the same page, is that if we journey through a book of the Bible together as a community, maybe when you see someone out at Best Yet or something like that, or you're out having brunch, um, you can start a dialogue. Why? Because we're reading the text as a community. Uh, if you have questions and, and concerns and maybe thinking through things, you have people, you can think, hey, you know what? My church family is actually reading Jonah together, so let me reach out to somebody on Facebook or, or text somebody or email someone. So that was our first hope. The second hope is that you would ignite scripture, we would ignite scripture reading as a regular rhythm in your life. And here's why. To continue to deepen your relationship with God, having a regular rhythm of scripture reading is good. It's healthy. Um, man, I'm going to give you a, just a really quick example. How many people like salad? I hate salad. Yo, I really, no, seriously, I hate salad. I really don't like salad. I never ate salad. Um, however, when I, uh, when I graduated college, I went to a conference. I was doing some training, and it was at this conference where nothing else was available but what? Salad. salad. Go figure. Just my day, right? I'm in Orlando, Florida. I don't know where else to go. I'm in a place I don't know. So what do I do? Then what do I do being the very courageous man that I am? I ate some salad, man. And then they had chicken. What? I was like, yo, chicken and salad and bacon and cheese. I was like, yo, let me, you know what? I have to reconsider my feelings about salad, right? I'm eating it. Long story short, the chicken Caesar salad has become my favorite. Now, I don't do house salads and all that other stuff. I really just do chicken Caesar salads, all right? Just bear with me. However... I started eating salad, and then it became a regular rhythm, and then I married Heather, and Heather likes uh, balsamic vinaigrette, so I had to try that, right? It's my wife. I have to do that. I had to try, like, eating 
um, um, like sweet potato in my salad or beans, but it was good actually. <laughs> like yo, over time, I began to like salad just because I started some years ago over time to now, man, you could find me going to the finest salad bars and getting eloquent salad. And we really believe that's how scripture reading getting infused in your life happens. Man, you start by reading a small book like Jonah, four chapters together as a community, and you read it one day at a time, maybe a few verses at a time, maybe one chapter at a time, and then you begin to see the journey, the bigger narrative that the Bible has on your life. So those were our hopes, and I hope we are somewhere working in, the, in that direction. And, and for some of you, some of you had to like read the kids' version. We know, like we check Instagram and Facebook, some of y'all were reading like your your daughter's version of the Bible, we take that too. That's good. Do it, as long as you're reading. <laughs> All right, so if you've been rocking with us, keep reading. Um, we are going to get into chapter three today. Um, if not, man, when you go home today or later on at night, man, read, the, read all the way up uh, to chapter three, and, and uh, hopefully next week, chapter four, uh, we'll all dive in together. But let me recap. All right, for those of us who don't know the story, maybe you're joining us for the first time today. There's a dude named Jonah, and Jonah is a prophet. Everybody say prophet. And prophet simply means you speak on behalf of God. That's pressure, right? That's, that's a lot of pressure. But Jonah was asked to speak on behalf of God. Uh, so God tells Jonah, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to this place called Nineveh, and I want you to share a message with them. Jonah's like, nah, you bugging. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to Nineveh to share this message. And, and I'm going to let us in on a little secret, not because he was just being defiant or not because he was just fearful. I think because Jonah had a relationship with God, Jonah also knew the Ninevites. The Ninevites were over here. They were wilding. They were doing all kind of crazy things. They were killing people, chopping heads off, putting people's bodies on a pole. Like they were ODing. And let me pause for our less street savvy folks. Okay, there's a slide up here with a definition, ODing simply means overdoing it, all right? It just means they were overdoing it. They were, they were going a little too, doing a little too much, as we would say in the hood, right? All right. They were over here, like, putting bodies on poles and killing people, all kind of wicked behavior, right? So Jonah's like, nah, I'm, I, I would hate for God to be even kind to them. Because he knows, he knows God. Remember, he speaks on behalf of God, and he also peeps and sees what they're doing. So Jonah says, you know what? I'm out. I'm going to this place called Tarshish. Say Tarshish. It's a funny word. I know. I love it when we started saying Tarshish in our studies. But he goes, and Tarshish essentially is like if, if um, uh, where Jonah was was here, uh, and, and Tarshish was all the way over here, he basically has to travel all the way across the country, essentially, to get away from God. And that's his goal. He's running. And he gets in a boat, and he's in a boat with these sailors, and he's on his way to Tarshish. And this storm comes. And the Bible says that God sent the storm. And one of the messages, man, we, 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 man, sometimes God does send storms in our life. And they're to discipline us. And they're to get us, not to pay us back, but to bring us back. Does that make sense? Not to pay us back, but to bring us back into right relationship. And so the people on the boat, the sailors are like, yo, this storm is crazy. Really? Like what's this? Yo, clearly there has to be a God that's upset right now. One of y'all 
made this God mad. Somebody on this boat, because I've been fishing a long time, and I've never seen a storm like this. So Jonah gets up. He's like, all right, guys, it's me. It's me. I'm running from God. I'm on my way to Tarshish, and I'm running from God. I don't want to do what he asked me to do. Y'all go ahead and throw me over. Take me. Throw me over. I want y'all to live. I, I'm not going to be the reason y'all all die in this storm. Just throw me over. So they're like, man, let's go. Let's get this. Tie him up. They throw him over. Jonah's in the water. And this is the part that gets really interesting. The Bible says a big fish comes and swallows Jonah. And some of y'all are like, turn to somebody, go like this. Right? Some of us really don't believe that. And what we said here at Renaissance, we give you full permission not to believe it. We give you full permission not to believe that this is a literal account. However, Jesus does reference this story other places in the text. And when Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, he tells them, just like Jonah, I will be in the belly of the earth. And so we believe here at Renaissance that this is a literal account. But yo, we don't want to argue about that, right? We don't, it's not that big of a deal. The bigger message is that God's grace and mercy is for everyone, all right? So the fish swallows Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of this big fish, and he's like, my bad, God. I'm sorry. It's a little smelly in here. Please save me. Get me up out of here. And the Bible says that the big fish vomits Jonah onto dry ground. And that's where we pick up in chapter 3. So turn to chapter 3 with me, verse 1, if you will, and we are going to jump in there. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. Now, me personally, I want to stop here. Me personally, I have wrestled with this. For me to be, and please, I'm just going to be, I'm going to open up a little door in my heart, and I'm going to share it with you, so please don't look at me funny, don't judge me, okay? This is a very, very vulnerable moment. I don't know how I got here to be a pastor. Like, I've wrestled with this. Man, I've tried everything. I've tried basketball. I've tried working in other things. Like, I've tried so many times to tell people, yo, I'm not, I'll never be a pastor. Like, no way. Not those dudes. I won't do that, right? I don't even like the title. Like, for a long time, Jordan had to say, when you get up, you, you have to let people know you're a pastor here at Renaissance. I was like, nah, I don't really, I don't. He was like, no, you do. <laughs> you do, actually. And I do. I have to. And I wrestled, and I remember running from God endless times. I remember telling God, no, like, like seriously, stop telling me things to tell people. I'm not, I'm not doing that. I, I empathize with Jonah, and the fact that the Lord said, the, the fact that the scripture says, then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time was so refreshing for me. It was so refreshing for me to, to believe that there's a loving God that would speak to me even in the midst of me turning my back on him, he would speak to me a second time. I mean, there's some of us here, and another reason, another little vulnerable moment, I struggle because I'm probably harder on myself than anybody else is. 
And so when I do something wrong, man, it takes about a week for me to get back, at least in good graces with myself, let alone somebody else. Other people could be treating me regular. I'm like, nope, you don't deserve to have water right now. Put that water down, right? Like, I have that inner get-at-myself ability. And I, I, could, I could just imagine what Jonah was experiencing, but to hear the Lord speak to him a, a second time had to be refreshing. And man, in our culture, you know, the, the challenge is in our culture, we, are, we live in a one-and-done culture, right? We live in a one-and-done. How many of you, if, you uh, if your significant other cheated on you, you're like, nope, uh-uh, not going to do that, I'm out. Right? Am, am I being honest? Oh, that, oh, you, oh you're not going to take my kindness for weakness. No, you're not. Right? We live in a one-and-done culture where somebody makes a mistake. There's a, there was that story Jordan and I were talking about, about the, about the tweet that the woman made uh, about, the, about going to Africa. Is anybody familiar with that? Yeah? No? She, she basically tweeted, and the, the way that she tweeted, it says something about, um, about how she was, going, she was going to Africa to be with people, to be with black people and things of that nature. And the way it was read is as if she was being a racist, but she was actually quoting somebody and making fun of people who have naive mindsets. It went viral, and she has been shunned, like she can't get a job. People know exactly who she is. Like, we live in a one-and-done culture. We live in a day and age when if you make a mistake, tough. Institutions say, yo, you didn't get the grades you needed, tough. I can't help you, right? We live in a one, but, but not so in the kingdom of God. What I love about the kingdom of God is God uses the unusable. God uses the unusable. There are some of us sitting here today that feel like, you know what? I am, I'm not eloquent. Uh, I'm not overly skillful. Man, there's no way God could use me to do beautiful things. There's no way God could use me in his plan, this big grand scheme of God. Like there's no way this God of the universe could use little old me. Man, the Bible is filled with God using little old you's. It's filled with people who have turned their back and done things to, to, to make God angry, to actually be enemies of God, and he uses them. Anyway, God can use the unusable. Some of us have done things that, man, we hope no one ever finds out about, right? Some of us have done things that, uh, listen, we, we've done things for even, even in our own sake, if we knew someone else that did what we did, we wouldn't rock with them. But God says, I will use the unusable. Thankfully, God does not tell us, get your stuff together so I can use you. God doesn't pay us back for our mistakes. He uses us despite our mistakes. And if that is true for bi biblical characters, then it's true for you and I. And why am I emphasizing this? I'm emphasizing this because, you know, some of us uh, may have trouble telling people on, the, on your job that you're a Christian. And you may feel like, you know what, man, I, like you wrestle with it day and night. Some of us may, may be watching things or engaged in act, activity that we feel like, like the, the Christian uh, phrase to us would be, yo, you're going to hell. 
Some of us might be sitting here right now doing that. I remember serving at a camp, and a young lady felt like she engaged in so much uh, activity. She, she's done so much. She went to camp, and she was like, you know what? There's no God. I've done everything that Christians say is wrong. And on the third day, God speaks to her by name, calls her by name, and now she is walking with God. God can use the unusable. And I don't want us to leave here believing the lie that he can't. Because God says, I would never give up on you. I would never throw you away or deem you not usable. I can use the unusable. Let's take a quick look at the life of Peter. And if we do a sweeping overview of life, does anybody know Peter? Some of us, okay? Peter essentially was a disciple, disciple, student, learner, someone who followed Jesus. Um, he, was, he was in his camp. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. And if we look at a sweeping overview of Peter's life, we see how Peter actually became a disciple in Luke 5. And in Luke 5, Peter was fishing. I'm going to go through the story real quick, please. If you, you see the text, jot it down. I want you to read through these. But Peter essentially is fishing, and Jesus hops on his boat, and Peter's like, yo, I'm a fisherman. Peter was a fisherman by trade, by vocation. This is what he did. And so he's out fishing. He's not catching anything. Jesus tells him, throw your net on the other side. He catches a whole lot of fish, so many fish that they can't handle it. And, and Peter realizes, he, he sees Jesus, and he gets down on a knee, and he says, get away from me. I'm a sinful person. And Jesus says, yo, you're not unusable. Come, I'm going to make you a fisher of people. It's not going to be fish anymore. Now you're going to follow me, and we're going to go out and change the world. And so Peter begins this journey of discipleship. And then in Luke 9, Luke 9, 18 to 21, um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he asks them a question. Who do people say that I am? And they're all like, yo, look, in Harlem, they say you John the Baptist. In Brooklyn, dudes are saying you are Jeremiah. And in Staten Island, nah, nobody goes to Staten Island, right? In Queens, they're saying, yo, you're just a great prophet. And so they're, they're taking into account what everyone is saying about Jesus, and Jesus is probably smirking. And he's like, yeah, that's what they're saying? Well, who do you say that I am? And Jesus presents the question to the disciples, who do you say? I need a personal account of who I am from you, my followers, my dudes. I need a personal account from you. Peter stands up, speaks on behalf of the crowd. Peter's like, yo, you are the Messiah. You are God in the flesh. And Jesus is like, yo, wow. Like, you didn't just come up with that on your own. My Father in heaven has revealed that to you. And so we see Peter getting a revelation. So he went from being a disciple. Y'all following me? Somebody who didn't know Jesus, had an encounter, started following him, and then in this following process got to know Jesus deeper and intimately, had a revelation of him in Luke 9, 18 through 21. And then Peter was chosen to be part of the inner circle, right? So, so, so Jesus is going up on a mountain in this particular scripture in Luke uh, 9, 28 to 36. Um, it's called the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And simply what's happening, Jesus goes up on this mountain, and he tells James, Peter, and John, he's like, yo, come with me. So Peter now went from being part of the 12 to one of the three. Does that make sense? And so now Peter is going up the mountain with Jesus, and, there, and Jesus is up there, and he's about to do his holy supernatural thing. Like he changes his body, he transfigures into Elijah and Moses. And Peter is there to witness it. Man, how many of you would be in awe to witness the transfiguration of somebody? Y'all would bug out like, yo, I cannot believe I'm here. Yo, I seen the fireworks on the rooftop and I was bugging out. I'm like, yo, this is amazing. Wow, look at this. Fireworks. Imagine seeing Jesus transform. That's freaking incredible. Peter was allowed into that space. That's amazing. How many of you, I don't like to cry in front of people. I'm joking. Sometimes I do. I'm sorry. I get a little emotional, but I don't like to. Because you know when you make that ugly cry, right? You don't want people to see that. You don't want nobody to see you with that ugly face. But just imagine when you allow someone, like if you are crying profusely and you allow someone into that space. How intimate is that? How deep is that? That's what was happening here with Peter. He, he joined this inner circle with Jesus. And then um, in, in Luke 22, uh, verses 31 through 34, P Peter promises to defend Jesus until the end. Um, Jesus is telling the disciples what's really going to happen. He's like, yo, I'm going to go to the cross. Yo, these people are going to beat me up. They're going to kill me. I'm going to hang up there, but chill. Don't worry. I'm coming back. Trust me. I'm coming back. Peter's like, oh, no. Nobody's going to do that to you, Jesus. That's my word. Nah, just... That's my word. Like, nobody's going to do that to you. I promise you. I will defend you to the end. Peter goes so far to say, like, yo, look, he brings Jesus aside. He's like, yo, if those dudes leave you, I guarantee you I won't. I promise you. I don't know about them, but you my man's like that. I promise I'll defend you to the end. Then we see later in the same chapter, in the same chapter, this dude Peter denies that he even knows Jesus. Like, how crazy is that? You would, yo, we, would, we would say, yo, Peter's a little psycho. In the same chapter, he says he's around fire, and he's like, oh, yo, that's the Galilean. That's that dude Peter. He'd be with Jesus. Peter's like, nah, no, no I'm not. Stop. No, I'm not. It's not me. Chill. <laughs> getting his fire on because it's cold, and Jesus has now been arrested, and he's in getting beat down in this little secret trial, which was kind of grimy anyway because you're not supposed to have a trial at the middle, in the middle of the night, but Peter's outside because they wouldn't let him inside to actually be a part of the trial. Peter's outside warming himself, trying to do his thing, like, yeah, I'm going to defend Jesus. I said I was going to do it. I'm going to be here, and another woman comes by like, yo, Yo, I'm certain that that's Peter. Like, that's it. He's like, yo, I don't even know Jesus. And he curses. He's like, yo, I don't even know that dude. Completely denying any affiliation with God. And then we see in John 21, verses 15 through 19, when Jesus is resurrected, man, Jesus has a conversation with Peter over hot coals, over fire. He has breakfast with him. And he says, yo, do you love me? 
Peter's like, yeah. But remember, Peter had went back fishing. He, he, he completely was like, yo, this Jesus thing is over. Like, I denied him. It's over. God could never use me. It's over. I denied him. There's no way he's going to mess with me again. And Jesus comes, has a very loving, restorative conversation with him and says, Peter, I want you to go and build my church. I want you to go and feed my people. And we see later in Acts 2, they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. There's a group of about 120 people, and they're sitting in a room, and they're praying. And Jesus promised them that he was going to send a comforter. He was going to send someone to be with them because he had to go back to be with the Father. And Jesus is like, that person is the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the Holy Spirit to rock out, to be with you. The Holy Spirit comes, and they start talking in all these different type of languages. So just imagine, um, uh, just imagine like Ebonics being spoken, German, just uh, like French, um, Italian, Portuguese, all being spoken by people up here who are American. That's what was happening there. And they were speaking in different languages. And so the people, the Portuguese people and the people who understand Ebonics and the people who understand German, they were hearing this in their own native language. They were like, yo, what the heck is happening? I know these dudes don't even know my language. How are they speaking like this? And it was because the Holy Spirit was speaking through them. And Peter stands up and he says, yo, listen, they're not drunk. This is not a fluke. And he tells them about Jesus. And he says, yo, that's the one you need to follow. And the Bible says 3,000 people. Say 3,000. Say 3,000. 3,000 people came to know God that day from Peter's message. He went from, from being someone who didn't know God to having these crazy experiences, to being part of the inner circle, to denying him, probably doing in, in, in our neck of the woods something I would say probably the, the most gross thing you could do is deny that you know someone that's really in trouble. He denies him. He gets restored, and God uses him. You know why I just did a sweeping overview of Peter? Because God can use the unusable. Now, let's look at the rest of the story. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. And let me stop here. I don't think, um, I don't think it took like, I don't think the, the city was just that big. You know, the stats say and some of the historians say it really just took Jonah that long to go around and share the message to everyone. Let's continue. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. And I want to stop here for a second. I want to try to make this applicable to us in the 21st century. See, for us here, it, that, that, the burlap and the fasting and what's happening may not make sense. But I, I want to teach us something. In Jonah's day, it was customary to show that you are sorrowful 
to, to, to engage or put on these garments of mourning, okay? And the first, one of the first things that they did was fasting. And I just want to explain fasting, and it's really simple, right? Fasting is a biblical practice that develops our intimacy with Jesus, with God. And what happens is you intentionally self-deny. You intentionally deny yourself something that you rightfully could have, like food. It's okay to eat food. Everybody know that? Yeah, eat food. It's good. Go for brunch after this. Just not at my house. You can, you can have food, but you choose. You say, you know what? Instead of that, instead of engaging in that, I want to uh, turn my affection and my heart and my attention to God. And we do it all the time, right? What do you eat most mornings? Break. Right? Break fast. You eat breakfast, right? And you are breaking for that period of time that you were sleeping, you weren't eating. We break fast, right? So fasting was one of the symbolic ways to show that you were sorrowful. Um, burlap. Burlap is a real coarse piece of fabric. Burlap became the customary attire of telling God we are sorry. I like to think of it like a tuxedo. Anybody ever been to a wedding? Right? Like imagine seeing somebody in a hoodie and jeans at a wedding. You'd be like, yo, what's, what are you doing? No, it's customary for a groom and the groomsmen to wear what? Tuxedos. And so burlap in Jonah's day became that customary garment of mourning. So let's keep reading. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps, even yet, God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. See, here's the punchline. God's grace and his mercy is for everyone. God's grace and his mercy is for everyone. Listen to this. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction. See, repentance essentially, this is what repentance means. It's a real fancy Christian word that simply means you, you turn away from the way that you were going. But you don't just turn away like in behavior, right? You don't just say, I'm walking this way. Okay, I turn this way and now I repented. No, you turn because you've had a change of perspective. You've had a change of heart and you actually realize the way that you're going is destructive and now you want to go a different way. It's an intentional turning in the heart and then what's happening in the heart forces you to turn physically away from the activity you were engaged in. Does that make sense? And I hope this challenges us because what am I saying? Yes, yeah, I, I think you're asking me, Aswan, what are you saying? I think I'm saying that Nineveh, even in their wickedness, which all of us would sit here and say Nineveh deserved punishment, yes? 
Killing people is not okay. You can't just kill people. That's not okay. And you can't just brutally kill people and just get away with it. That's not okay. But what I am saying is that God, and this says it in, this is not me, but in, 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 in verse 10, chapter, Jonah chapter 3, when God saw that they repented, he forgave the unforgivable. So not only can God use the unusable, but he forgives the unforgivable. And I wrestle with this. I really do. Just imagine, God forbid, if somebody killed my son. There's, there's no way I'm going to just jump up and be like, okay, God, you can just forgive the unforgivable. Can I be real for a second? And I think what Jonah was wrestling with is he knew that God was this gracious, loving God. He knew God's grace and his mercy was for everyone. And that's why he really didn't want to go to share the message because he knew somehow God was going to find it in his heart to forgive them. And thank God he's God and he's not us. Because maybe I haven't killed someone physically, but maybe with my words, I've destroyed somebody. Maybe, maybe when I was in high school, I said something to a friend and they went off into depression. Maybe because the, the, the influence that I had as an athlete, I didn't really manage it well and I injured somebody's self-esteem. God can forgive the unforgivable. And I would love to receive God's grace and mercy. If I was to find out now, if somebody came to me and said that, man, I would love to be forgiven by them. I would love, I would love to, to say, yo, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean that. And, and my, my paradigm has changed, my, my perspective of how I use my words and how I use influence, all of that has changed. And so I would want, I, I would want them to know the new me. And see, we wrestle because a lot of times we want to be God. We want to tell people when they should be destroyed. We want to determine what people's punishments should be. We want people to hurt like we hurt. We want people to get the thing that they do deserve and more. And look, and I'm being real, in light of what's happening in our country, the deaths and the pointless shootings. As one, really, you're going to tell me God can forgive the unforgivable? Yes, I am going to tell you that. In light of what's happening, maybe what would it look like for us as, as people who believe in God to pray for the people who are doing the shooting? To pray that one day there's a Jonah that could go to them and share the message and say, look, yo, if you repent right now, man, God is ready to accept you into right relationship with him. But see, we don't want to pray for them. We want to punish them. And God's kingdom doesn't work like that. God uses the unusable and he forgives the unforgivable. Do we want to follow Jesus now? Do we want to be Christians now? Do we want to be little Christ? That's what Christian means. 
And I hope we say yes. As difficult as it is, I hope we say yes because the joy that the world is going to see, they're going to see a group of people who even in the midst of times when we hurt or we don't understand, we still obey God and we still, when he speaks to us a second time, we obey. That we would love each other, that we don't, we don't live in a one-off culture, even in the church. And I think a lot of people don't like coming to church and they don't like Christianity because a lot of times we look like one-and-done type people. Oh, that person doesn't have as much money as me. I don't give them the time of day. Oh, that person doesn't quote scripture like I do. I'm a better Christian. Man, God uses the unusable, and forgives the unforgivable. What does repentance look like for you? What does it look like for you and I to repent? And real quickly, when you get a chance in Psalm 139, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. And I want to extract three things that I think we could apply right here, right now. One, ask God to search your heart. Ask God, and I mean earnestly examine yourself. Ask God, God, what's happening in me? Why, when I see people that don't look like me or aren't doing what I do, or don't think like me, why does something well up inside of me? What is it that I have to examine? Why, when I see people wearing white after Labor Day, can you do that? Is it, or is it before? Can you wear, you wear, you wear white after, right? No, you can't, I was right. When I see people wearing white after Labor Day, why do I just judge them? Man, we have to ask God to examine our hearts. Two, confess. And this is where we struggle. Listen, I'm going to be honest, man. When I do something wrong, the hardest thing for me, for me to do is confess. And it gets, it's just like salad eating. It's just like scripture reading. Over time, you see the value of truly boasting in your weakness, of telling people, yo, I really messed up. You begin to see the value, you begin to see people look at you differently. People respect you more like, yo, I respect that. It's so crazy. Corporate America right now, because of the rise of social media, is now paying millions of dollars to find ways to do social, social media campaigns where they, where they convey the mistakes that they have made. Five years ago or so, I don't know, five years ago or so, I'm sure corporate America would have done anything they would have paid any amount of money to sweep their mistakes under the rug. Am I right? Now, because we can interact with people so easily and we can touch our customers and we can have connection with people so easily, because of that, people are saying, yo, our generation wants authenticity. We want people to be real. So now they're sharing their mistakes. Man, confess not only to God, God I'm sorry, I didn't obey you. I tried to go to Tarshish when you were telling me to go to Nineveh. My bad, Lord. But also, the, the family, the community, 
confess to them. Hey, Dan, listen, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. Pray for me. It's difficult, but it's necessary. It's part of the repenting process. And last one, turn and change behavior. Don't stay there. Don't say, you know what, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry for going to Tarshish. And you're just continuing to walk towards Tarshish. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for going to Tarshish. Oh, I got to go to Nineveh. And God's big enough to handle that. And he's okay when you turn and change behavior. Again, I don't want to make Christianity sound moralistic. I'm not saying get your behaviors in order. I'm saying change your heart. Know that there's a God who uses the unusable and forgives the unforgivable. And because of that, turn and walk towards him. See, what I think God was asking Jonah to do is, yo, stop trying to do it your way and come run to me. God's grace and his mercy is for everyone, for runaways, for people who are serving in communion, for people who read scripture, for prostitutes, for people who struggle with addictions, pornography, and sex, and God's grace and his mercy is for everyone. Here's the conclusion. Don't leave here believing that God can't use you because of what you've done. God can use you despite all you have done. Similarly, don't leave here thinking that God is not right or unfair for choosing who he wants to show grace and mercy to. We're not God. He decides who he wants to show grace and mercy to. And the way he set this thing up is that he is God, the creator, and we are humans, the creation. He is Lord, and we follow. And as hard as it might be, you have to trust that the order and the way God set things up has your best interest in mind. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, thank you that salvation is yours, that you choose who you want to show mercy to. You choose who you want to distribute grace to. God, thank you for the truth that that includes us, that you chose even us sitting here today, that you would sin that you would be merciful on us, that you would be gracious to us. God, help us remember that your grace and your mercy is for everyone.